You're listening to The Broken Meeple Show, a podcast that speaks passionately about board games for the benefit of those who play them. My name's Luke Hector, best known for The Broken Meeple YouTube channel, and I'm an everyday gamer just like you. And I'll be talking about reviews, top tens, and just about anything that connects me to board games, as long as I have a tea or coffee in hand, that is. So grab a cup, relax, and enjoy. And remember, it's only a game. Hey everyone, Happy New Year! It's 2022, 2nd of January, and this is another Broken Meeple podcast show. Yeah, time to get back into the swing of things, I guess. I've had the holiday break, uh, not a lot of content, well, in fact, no content over the Christmas break. I did my last one, which I think was the top 10 games of 2021, and decided, call it there for a bit. You know, what are people really going to be that interested in watching YouTube videos of my content over Christmas when they should be spending it with their families or doing stuff? Just didn't seem necessary, and I know some channels have gone out and done a lot of stuff, but honestly i was barely watching any youtube content myself over christmas it's like you know there are other things to do and similarly with new year but uh new year has happened so we're now into 2022 can this year improve on the last two well we'll have to see on that front i've already done as you can see on the screen top 10 anticipated games of 2022 it's a recent top 10 list that i put up literally yesterday and it's already nearly it's already over 4,000 views so it's already doing pretty well but then most top 10 lists generally do but thank you for those who are are watching that i'm very grateful for you doing so and engaging with me on that but yeah fingers crossed we'll get a nice decent year this time round. although don't expect a lot of new hotness for a few months because what tends to happen with board games is the, there tends to be a seasonal trend where the first three to four months of the year pretty much releases nothing in terms of quality games and then it happens all around gen con time and essen time not to say we won't get some belters in the next few months, but just don't expect a lot of retail releases to be, oh, this is the new hotness. You get some. Like last year, I think Sleeping Gods was the big one. <clears throat> Sorry, take a little uh, cough there. Uh, yeah, Sleeping Gods was uh, one of them. And that came out about, what, like March, February time? Yeah, February time last year. And there wasn't really much else around that period. This time round, we're expecting, hopefully, to get Merchants of the Dark Road turn up at some point this first quarter. We should get Now or Never by Ryan Lockett. Uh, some people are already getting Nemesis Lockdown arrive. So there are a few things that will probably arrive, like courtesy of Kickstarter and a few others. In fact, I'm hopeful that the... Centaurs in the Multiverse Definitive Edition is also going to turn up at some point at the end of January. I haven't backed it on Kickstarter. I'm just waiting for it to come out on retail. But you can bet, yeah, you can bet your bottom dollar that I'm going to be grabbing a copy of that, using it to teach people multiplayer, and doing a review on how good that set is. Because you know, I want to have a set that I can bring to a club night, which will hopefully be the definitive version. And then a, a set that I can play solo whenever I want, which will be the giant collector's box in the other room. Otherwise, though, health-wise, not too bad. Uh, just sort of profess, uh, preface uh, something else I think I might have mentioned. I think I mentioned it on my YouTube community chat back in uh, just before Christmas, but just to reiterate now, uh, there was a bit of turmoil last month with uh, the fact that I got laid off my job. Uh, so, you know, I'm not going to go into details, but I got given an exit and I took it and now I'm unemployed. So I am looking for work that should not be too difficult. I'm very grateful and appreciative to those who have kind of said, you know, I could find you something down here or I could uh, look into this area. But honestly, 
you know, I'm a tax chartered tax manager. So in the UK, we are crying out for those people right now. The supply and demand is much more in my favor than it is in employers. There should be something around my area that I can do. I'm hopeful I can find a job that is one that I want to stay in for years and years and years and not hop to another one. But Problem is, work is never as interesting as everything else in real life, but well, we shall see. Not much has happened on that front yet, but I didn't expect people to be gunning for new employees like just before Christmas. So as of 4th of January, when our official like work cycle starts again, you know, the holidays have ended, then I'm expecting agents to go nuts and you know interviews to start coming around. In fact, I think I've even got one lined up or later this week i'm not sure but i have to double check my calendar but as i say I'll, I'll let you know what happens for that but i am i'm catered all the way until like kind of like easter may time so even if the worst case scenario happens i'm not suddenly going to go bankrupt in the next <laughs> like couple of weeks you know i can still afford me mortgage for a good while yet i'm very good with my money and, you know i'm very good at saving so i'm I have pre prepared for this kind of eventuality, okay? So it won't be that bad. But suffice to say, that was a bit of a turmoil. It was a bit of a stress uh, inducer. Hence, I didn't do too many videos in December because I just like, really, this is not the first thing on my mind right now. Uh, but, you know, no, I can put that behind me. And if nothing else, it means that my January, at the very least, if not possibly February at this rate, but certainly my January, is free of work. So... You know, it gives me time to play some solo games, gives me time to chill. Uh, one of my resolutions is certainly going to be to get back to the gym. I have eaten far too much rubbish over Christmas. Thank you, mum. <laughs> Bless her. But yeah, I am fat as all get out right now. I've got a blubbery stomach down there. I've already been to the gym three times in the last three days. I've been for a gym session. I went for a swim. And then yesterday I went for a 30 minute uh, jog, well jog, you know, running routine on the treadmill or whatever, which knackered me out. And today I need to pop off for some errands and I intend to pop by the gym again for a quick swim, perhaps, or maybe a quick upper body session, whatever. I'm going to be going to the gym as often as I physically can during January at the very least to try and get this weight down a bit. So uh, yeah, that's certainly one resolution, but we'll get on to some more later. But stress-wise, pretty good. You know, I'm not that worried about the job prospects. We'll see how January goes and then I can make more of a, you know, a, a kind of verdict on whether I should be worried about the whole job thing. But currently I'm not. You know, things will pick up, I'm sure. Blog-wise, blog-wise is still pretty good. You know, 15,500 subscribers and it's climbing. Thank you to everybody who watches this show. I'm very appreciative of it. And, you know, I'm looking forward to doing more stuff now as the channel gets into 2022. It's effectively, as I call it, season seven, but it just means a new year. You know, nothing much is changing with the format. But there's a couple of things I'm interested to do. Um, but we'll catch on that uh, a little bit later. So... Uh, this episode, I'm going to just talk briefly about some games I've been recently playing. Uh, then I will talk about some resolutions going forward. And I don't just mean gaming related. There could be a few others as well. And then there's a weird topic that I want to touch on very briefly about deck building. We'll get on to that. So first off, foremost, what have I been playing? Well, first off, I finally got a copy of Street Masters. Yes, I finally got a copy of Street Masters after people have been telling me for ages, go and play this game. You'll love it. It's like Sentinels Multiverse. You must play it. Well, I did. Thankfully, I played it at Gridcom and, you know, at uh, Paul Grogan's convention. Uh, chap there very kindly taught me it as a two-player game. So I jumped in with this uh, character here. Oh, I've forgotten her name already. What is her name? Ah, 
I've forgotten her name. It's a very generic name for her, but I, I mean, she's basically Sonya Blade. That's the way I like deal with her. She gets a bunch of tactic cards. Uh, uh, Megan. Ah, Megan. I think she's called Megan. I mean, that doesn't really sound like a name for a crime fighting superhero, but she basically goes around, does lots of kicks. She does lots of cards that have chi effects. And so you chain them all together and create cool combos. And the person who was teaching me was this guy here, Ryoshiki or something. I don't know what the name is, but basically it's Ryu from Street Fighter. It's like a direct parody. So this Street Masters is essentially a cooperative game for one to four players. Although, frankly, I don't think you'll be playing it with more than two at any point. And essentially what you do is a tactical skirmish game where... Yeah this, yeah, this is a good example. Someone's painted their models. But you have all these different map boards. You have uh, these uh, minions and a villain that goes up a bit like in Sentinels in the Multiverse. You have the villain deck. You've got a villain deck. You've got the stage deck, which is basically the environment deck. And you move your characters on the map and you play your cards from a personal deck that you have. There's no shared cards in this. You can pick up loot items. You've got objective items you've got to grab. You've got different terrain like here. I mean, you're jumping over desks and dealing with other... Other things, like if you fight in a train yard, the stage deck might accidentally have a passing train come and knock you down. Uh, there's all sorts of different villains, all sorts of different heroes. I have got this giant cube over there, which is a, a ridiculous size thing. In fact, maybe I can find the Kickstarter it was on. But basically, somebody on eBay, uh, not on eBay, uh, somebody on Facebook sold me everything they had all the way up to this Aftershock box. So I haven't got involved in the latest Game Found campaign, but frankly, after getting all this content, I think I'm going to cater for for a while. There was a ton of stuff in this Kickstarter, and I have this cube. And yeah, it is this ridiculous size cube here. Storage solution with dividers and token storage and everything over there with a base box as well, you know, to hold bits that I don't use very often, which frankly, from what I gather, the story decks and the mission decks are kind of meh. Not many people really play them. Most people play this in standalone skirmish mode. And frankly, I think I'll be doing the same. But I've got all these characters. I've got all these boards. I've got all these villains. Oh my word, I've even got these extra little bits like Essence of Evil and a few of the other bits. Like I've got the base box here. The Kickstarter 1 stretch goals. Legend of Oni. Uh, was there anything else in there? Essence of Evil I mentioned. The Aftershock stretch goals. So basically, I've got all of this. It's a lot of content. And... As uh, you might have seen earlier, 9 out of 10, I, this is not finalized, I need to play it some more, but yeah, I am loving this game. This game is really, really good. It's just, ooh, let's not go back there, stay on Street Masters. It's just so addictive. It is completely parodying Street Fighter, Streets of Rage, Tekken, not so much Mortal Kombat, less so of that, more the like grounded and reality ones, even though they have got like chi powers and all sorts of weird stuff. But, you know, basic martial arts are represented. And it's just a really good fun game if you're into that. It brings back a lot of nostalgia. It definitely feels co-op. Uh, you've got different, all the different villains and stages create great scenarios for you to do. All the heroes feel very different. I mean, I can play a wrestler character who wants to get in close and grapple. Uh, Megan was all about very mobile doing lots of kicks uh there's a panda you can control there's a literally a giant panda there's a, a villain who's a bit like blanca from street fighter you've then got evil ryu effectively that was what the legend of um, the essence of evil expansion is you got this police woman here you've got a, a gunslinger somewhere in there it's, there's all sorts of characters loads of content even if i don't touch the latest game found i'm gonna have plenty of content last me the rest of my life 
Does that mean I won't get that content if I get the chance again? <laughs> we'll see. But um, I don't. I haven't planned to do a full review of this, but mainly for the fact that not a lot of people can really get hold of this game. But suffice to say, I'm loving it. I'm glad I've got it. Cost me a pretty penny. I decided not to upgrade my PC and decided to buy this instead. And yeah, loving it. Such a good game. Right, uh, very briefly, just to mention, um, Cascadia. Now, I've already done an express review of this, so I'm not going to talk too much here. So if you want to check out more of my thoughts on Cascadia, check out that video. But I took this home to with the family. So this was kind of like the new game I was bringing to show them. And it went very well. Now, granted, my mum takes a little bit longer to get used to games than others. So a couple of things with the scoring still flummoxed her a bit. But... You know, my dad picked it up reasonably well. My brother picked up eventually. You know, they, they do seem to pick up games very slowly, my family, but bless them. But, you know, they're just not used to these modern games. But it did go down well. They enjoyed this one a lot. They all talked about how pretty it looked. They all talked about how, like, simple the rules were once they had a couple of games. Uh, this is prototype version pictures here. Here we go. Something a bit more down to earth you know they my dad who's colorblind didn't have a problem with these hexes he was able to tell them apart even though he didn't spend a lot of time focusing on terrain when he was playing the game but yeah we played it quite a few times i must have played it a good six times whilst i was back home for christmas and it was enjoyed it went down well i never played it with more than three players which is good because i don't think this game really suits more than two frankly but you know three is not too bad it's just very nice, very relaxing. I still have this in my collection. It's going to stay in my collection. I gave it an 8, spoiler alert, but, you know, it's, I got more detailed thoughts than that on this game in the video. So, yeah, it, it went down really well. I definitely recommend this one if you are taking it for family gaming because it did a good job. All right, briefly on that one. Right, next thing to touch on briefly, I, at some point I will probably do... A beyond the base game video for this because well we'll get onto that in the resolutions a bit later but suffice to say i have managed to now get the lost ruins of arnak leaders expansion tried and tested in some arnak games in fact last week at my portsmouth club i ended up playing two games of arnak well no i didn't sorry that's wrong there were two games of Arnak being played on my table. There was a case that six of us wanted to play Arnak, and obviously you can't play it with more than four. So we split it into two. We took a library copy. We took my friend's copy, one of which was base game only, one of which had the expansion. All the new players went in the base game. The ones who didn't went into this leaders. I taught how leaders worked and how the base game worked to the new players. And we literally played two games of Arnak side by side. It was a certainly quite an event and like i say loved it to bits so what is leaders actually doing well leaders besides giving you some really cool artwork with some funky little pictures and characters gives you mainly some extra cards for the decks bolstering them is always a good thing it gives you a couple more research tracks so you can chop and change which uh, research tracks you use in the game but the main thing it gives you are starting characters. You now have that Mystic Priest I saw there a minute ago. I believe this one's the Explorer. Let's see if there's any more pictures of someone else. Yeah, you've got a Falconer who actually, to be fair, I've yet to see someone play her. <laughs> I need to play her next time I play the game. A Baroness, a Captain, and I, uh, there's a, a, was it a Geologist or Professor? I think there's a Professor who's really good with art. Uh, there we go. Professor Do who's great with artifacts. Really good fun to play. Probably quite complex, though. And, you know, these are the two research tracks here. So what do you get with these starter characters is you essentially have your own starter deck. 
You've got a player power, you've got a unique player board that works differently from everybody else's quite significantly, particularly if you're the Mystic Priest, and you have some starter cards that replace the boring ones from the original game. I don't know if they're going to show any on these pictures, but, I mean, here's the Falconer's board, for example, and it's got a similar format, but then you've got this Falcon track. You've got this extra bonus you can do with artifacts. You've got these two extra abilities down the bottom. So there are clear differences from you know, other characters, and they all play differently, they cater to different styles, different, uh, like, ways of, like, doing well, like, pass to victory, like, this professor here is ridiculous when it comes to compasses and artifacts and tablets, so this guy just keeps circulating through artifacts, keeps buying a ton of them, gets a chance to use them over and over again, really fun if you like the artifacts, but then, oh, here's a good picture, uh, but this, you know, the Baroness one that I used before, uses i gets a lot of money has a special card that says when you buy this particular item you can have it go to your hand rather than the bottom of your deck and it means that she can not only buy a ton of items during the game but also has the ability to use an item quickly and i enjoyed using her she's quite simple to use quite simplistic in how she operates but she definitely depends on the item deck but again all of these are great fun to use. The Mystic Priest uses fear and does rituals, which certainly means that you've got to play him correctly because if you play him wrong, it could go very, very badly. Uh, I'm trying to remember, the, I believe the Explorer has these snack tokens that she uses for weird effects, but she only gets one archaeologist. Uh, the Captain has a third archaeologist, and I've already mentioned the Professor. So all of these characters are very different. Look at this artwork. This artwork in this game is so sublime as I'm talking about it. It oh god this is beautiful i could mount these on my wall they are that good but the it now means that you have very distinguished characters very distinguished play styles they open up different paths to victory and if you feel like you know what what's my favorite thing i like to do in arnak i like to mess around with the uh um artifacts cool be the professor then you know, I want to mess around with items, be the Baroness, I want to do lots of exploring, consider maybe the Captain then. It's, there's a lot of really, really good stuff you can do with these characters, and it just brings a new level of variety to the game. Now you can pretty easily take these out, and the rulebook does recommend that you don't use them with the base set research tracks because it would be too easy, but then it also says do not use, do not exclude the leaders, and then use the expansion research tracks because they'll be very hard to level up. You know, there is a little bit of a balancing thing that is done with these. But honestly, unless I'm teaching the game to complete newbies, I will pretty much always throw these into every game now. You know, in fact, with certain players, I might even throw these into their first game. I would exclude certain characters, but I would I'd be pretty easy to think that maybe the Falconer, the Baroness, and the Captain, those three are pretty straightforward characters to use. You know, so if I was teaching a brand a couple of new brand new players, I'd be convinced to give them these characters. I probably wouldn't give them the Professor. I most certainly would not give them the Mystic Priest. Um, in two minds about the explorer but yeah you could throw these into some new player games but yep it adds more variety it adds more cards it adds unique starts this expansion is fantastic if you love this game you're gonna love this expansion there's no reason you would look at this expansion and go nope don't like it will i do a beyond the base game video for it probably at some point in the future i do need to resurrect that series but yeah Lost Runes of Arnak, the leaders, I was gagging for this at Essen. I'm so glad I got it. It just makes a 10 out of 10 game even, even better. So, ready. Let's take a drink. Lovely jubbly. Right. So, 
next topic. I just wanted to talk about some resolutions that I've got, and not just necessarily gaming related, but things that I'm probably going to do with the channel, games that I really want to get played sometime soon, and personal stuff. Like I already mentioned that I've got a big blubbery stomach down here, which thankfully is not in camera view. But, you know, I'm going to try and lose this over the next couple of months while I'm unemployed. Definitely go to the gym better, watch what I'm eating. I mean, I ate so much junk over the last two weeks. I need to seriously get back to not necessarily a diet. I don't like sticking to full diets, but my eating was generally quite healthy. Uh, but portion control is my problem. I tend to eat too much and you can still have too much of a good thing. But I need to get more veg in the system. I need to, you know, try and avoid anything that's snack related. I need to cut down the alcohol intake, which to be fair, I don't drink a lot anyway, but still I need to cut that down. Like don't have alcohol every time I go out to a game night, you know, maybe consider just having coffee for a night and that, that should work fine. But yeah, definitely I'm going to try and lose some of this weight. In terms of the channel, there's not going to be a huge amount of changes, but there are a couple of things I really want to do. Firstly, I need to resurrect the Beyond the Base Game series. The, the series has not died. It's just there wasn't many expansions I felt like talking about. And the last part of the year was not only very stressful for work. And like I say, getting laid off didn't help. But, you know, even before then, I was having stress issues from work and the gastroscopy thing, you know, and stuff like that. But also I was trying to get other top 10s done. Essen was a big deal. There was a lot of reviews to do. And then there was the top 10 of the year. You know, there was a lot of stuff that was just taking up time, which meant I couldn't really do those videos. But there's not the series is not dead. I just haven't done them for a while. I will be bringing those back. So, you know, Lost Ruins of Arnak leaders could be a good start. But mainly I also do need to do one for Onitama because I've got the Light and Shadow expansion that I need to get played from Arcane Wonders. Uh, they gave me a copy of that during Essen, which I've still not played yet. But there was there's now free expansions for Onitama, so I think Beyond the Base Game video for that would actually be pretty useful for a lot of people, so definitely going to be doing that. Uh, I also want to try and do some more solo playthroughs again, because the only problem is solo playthroughs don't generate a lot of views, but they're still fun to do. And maybe with live streaming now more evident, they will be improved. I think... I think a solo playthrough that is recorded is not as fun and not as lucrative in terms of views as a live stream one because people like to watch you play. People like to engage with you while you play. They can ask questions about the game you're playing. I can joke with the crowd. And so they are more fun. The problem is, as I keep, you know, <laughs> you know change the record here, I don't have the setup to be able to do a solo overhead camera play. I don't have a C-stand. I don't even know if I could afford a second camera to be able to do the overhead shot. Do I have enough space in here? I don't know. But I'll work on that in the future because this table that I've got is going to get replaced at some point soon. This Geekerson one, it, it basically is a little bit on the shaky side. It developed a fault. Nothing to do with bad quality or anything, but it just developed a fault. Uh, and... You know, Gigason have come over, they've looked in, and they've gone, yep, okay, that's fine. It's still within its warranty uh, period, and they've offered to replace it. So, you know, kudos for great customer service. You know, it's within the rights, so fair enough. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to be a little more careful about how I get the next table, because I made a mistake when I got this one. This one is too big for this room, because I miss I didn't measure the room properly. I looked at the dimensions on the plan, but didn't realize that the width of the room catered for an alcove in the door over there, which is essentially like the entrance bit. So I thought the room was actually a good ooh, half a meter wider than it actually is. Maybe not half a meter, I don't know, but yeah, that's maybe pushing it, but you know what I mean. Longer than it actually was. So this table barely got into this room. 
like wow we barely get it up the stairs and it takes up a lot of space in here it's a great table by all means i mean it's done me proud i can play several games on here and still have my laptop on here to do stuff it's great but i do have to consider the fact that ah uh, yeah this was probably a bit overkill so when I get a replacement, I'm definitely going to try and get some more bells and whistles in terms of accessories. Like I like my cup holders. I want to get some uh, like sideboards to put rule books on. It will make my life easier when I'm learning new games. But I also probably want to make the table a little bit wee smaller. Not crazy smaller, just a little bit smaller. Like maybe keep it as long as it is, but just narrow it down a bit. Like narrow the width. That means that people who come around can fit into the chairs a bit better. I need to raise it a bit because... At the moment, I can just about get my legs underneath it because, but I'm six foot tall and my legs aren't the fattest part of me. But I have people who come around who have struggled to get their legs under the table because they're bigger than I am and that. And it's like, well, you can raise the table height to a bit. So I will probably want to do that as well. I feel that this table is maybe just a tiny bit lower than it should be. So, you know, there's little tweaks that I can do to make my life better. If the table is slightly smaller, it might give me some more space in here to actually try and get a C-stand with an overhead camera for some solo gaming, but this will be long term. What I'm more thinking about is that I should be able to do some tabletop simulator plays or some digital apps. Digital apps, I should be able to try and get working with this OBS without too much trouble. I even did a few in the previous year. They just were a bit mm, messy. But tabletop simulator is now so common that... I should be able to find mods, official or otherwise, preferably official, but we'll see. But it means that I could play a solo game on there. If I can work out how to just have my camera in the top of the screen and then just have OBS playing with a microphone in front of me, I could easily do that and I could probably live stream it even. So if that's the case, it'd be cool to do some live streams of tabletop simulator games. You know, there's Spirit Island, there's Ark Nova... Uh, the Sentinels in the Multiverse, there's even Arkham Horror the card game, although I don't know if I'm used to that mod yet. But, you know, it, it's got to be something with a solo mode, basically. Otherwise, it won't work unless somebody wants to play with me and we could do a two-player live stream or something. But again, this is something I'd have to work on because I don't know the technicals of it. Paul Grogan can do it like the back of his hand. I'm still learning on that front. You know, StreamYard only lets me do so much, so I'd have to use OBS and YouTube Studio, and that's a bit more crazy and finickety. But yeah, we'll see how that can develop in the future. Uh, other little shows that I used to do, like acquisitions in a particular month and that, I don't know if I'm going to carry on those because they. the problem is, is that stuff happens, stuff takes priority, and they get put to the wayside. They get a fair amount of views, but to try and do them on a monthly basis is quite tricky, especially if you don't actually buy or sell that much in a particular month. There could be a couple of months where I just don't buy any new games, and the only new stuff I get is stuff for review. So what's the point in doing an acquisition video on those? So those are a little bit weird with the timing. Maybe I'll just do them every now and again. Like Maybe I'll do once in a quarter. That might work, actually. Maybe like acquisitions and sales for a quarter. You know, Q1, Q2, Q3, Q4. Because that's only four videos. It could cover enough games. And it would be easier to keep up the timing. We'll see. But we'll have to see on that. What do you think? Do you, did you really care about the acquisition and cull videos? You know, or is that a thing? Because I know, I know other channels do like a massive thing with culling videos. But at some point you're going to run out of games to cull you can't drag it out forever you have to stop at some point you know i can't cull my whole collection so an acquisitions i can kind of just talk about them on the podcast if need be so i don't know i'd be interested in your thoughts on that uh other resolution wise well games i want to get played oh yes uh, i can definitely say there's a few games i want to get played so why don't we bring up board game geek here and show first up i mentioned nemesis earlier 
I have got all of Nemesis downstairs, as in the original stuff. Now, I've only played it a few times multiplayer, and I gave it a 7 from multiplayer perspective, but I want to play this solo, or oh, two-handed co-op, whatever the best way is. I think Mark Dainty uh, from Not Board Gaming says two-handed co-op is the best way to do it, rather than true solo, but we'll see. But I enjoy the game, I just think it's a bit too long in multiplayer. So I have the whole collection downstairs. It's got a folded space insert. It's all unboxed and everything. I just haven't had the time to learn this game solo and play it. <laughs> I love that big one with the cat there. But, you know, this is a game that's really cool. It's got a great theme. I love the theme of this. I love the Alien movies. I just felt long and pretty weird for a multiplayer game. So I'm hoping that the solo is going to be a lot better in this. And... Uh, people, including Mark, have already had Lockdown arrive from their Kickstarters. And I've got that on Kickstarter as well, so I'm expecting that sometime soon. So I could probably do with getting this game to the table at some point to learn it solo to make my life a little bit easier when Lockdown comes by. So hopefully this week I will find time to do that. I definitely... This is a weird board that someone's got there, uh, but I digress. So... Yeah, this one is definitely going to hit the table at some point soon, and then I can give some solo thoughts on it maybe in another podcast episode. But yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting it played more. It just, it was a big game, and there was just a lot to get done. Uh, on top of that, what else we got? We have got Edge of the Earth, which is the recent Arkham Horror LCG expansion. So I have yet to play it. All I've, all I've got is the... I'm sorry, I've got the Investigator and the Campaign version now, but I've already sorted out now, finally, those Investigator cards, but I have the Edge of the Earth Campaign expansion, and I haven't even tried it yet. I've got the cards, I just haven't had a chance to sit down and play it. I don't know what's involved in it, I don't know anything about the plot. All I know is that it's going to be a lot of cold stuff, which sounds cool. Dealing with the Elder Things, whatever they were. You know, This is an area of the lore that I'm somewhat like non-existent on but yeah another campaign to go through with i'm probably going to use one of the starter set characters rather than one of the newest investigators because i want to use some more of those starter characters and i think i'm going in with winifred winifred i think i'm going to use her winifred Habernuck or whatever her name is but you know try out a rogue character for a change in a while and see how that goes so yeah i'm looking forward to getting that one played uh, obviously, Street Masters, I intend to uh, carry on playing some of that. I've got a couple of games I need to finish. Uh, firstly, Mortem, which people were interested in when I did my top 10. You know, it's currently a 9 out of 10, but we'll see whether that drops to it. I don't think it will go up, but it might come down. We'll have to see. Uh, this is after playing two of the three scenarios in this game. I need to play the third one and finish this off so that I can give it uh, an express review without spoilers. There's no pictures on Board Game Geek because, well, they don't want to spoil anything. So, you know, I've got to have to be very careful about how I do this one. But it was on my top 10 of the year. I think it's a really solid game. I can give you more detail in a future video, I think. But it's essentially the medieval version of Detective. So if you know the Detective games from Portal, then the uh, this is essentially a medieval setting, but it uses a similar deck system, but with a few tweaks. And it's definitely one if you're into that kind of story-driven, immersive uh, deduction game. It's, you know, it's pretty solid, but I need to try out the third and final scenario in it to see whether it, like, sticks the landing, you know, and whether it, or it messes up. You know, it's definitely going to be important to get that final one played. Uh, on a similar subject, I need to sort out uh, finishing the Roleplayer Adventures campaign. So 
uh, I think, where am I now? Campaign, I think I'm on number eight, I think. So I've only got, uh, yeah, I think I've done seven. So I need to do eight, nine, and ten. Yeah, so that's, I don't have long to go with this one. Uh, I think that maybe needs to jump to a nine, actually. I don't know why it's only an eight, but um, I think that probably does need to be a nine. Let's change that right now. There we go. Um, but yeah, this this has been very enjoyable. I think it was an eight when I first started, and then it improved as time went on. But this story, don't worry, I'm not going to go spoiling anything. I mean, this is, uh, yeah, this is early on. This is not spoiling anything, really. But you essentially have, like, a role player character you've got all these pre-generated ones it manipulates dice for fighting monsters and doing skill checks where you roll a bunch of dice in a pool and you've got different color dice based on the attributes you've got different numbers that they need and you've got to use your cards in your hand to manipulate the dice in such a way that you can cover all the spaces so yeah very mechanical in terms of that but it's a pretty good storyline, it's easy to follow, and this has a lot of decent branching paths. You know, when you make a decision, it gives you a title card to say, this happened. And you can't suddenly go back and get the different title, but these have long-reaching ramifications. I mean, I do something in scenario one, and then in scenario two, something happens in relation to it. And then in scenario five, another thing happens in relation to it. And it's like, that's four scenarios down the line that this one decision I made has far-reaching ramifications. And it's not necessarily like, oh my god, it fundamentally changes the plot, but it does alter an encounter that you have and it's just those sort of things are really cool when your decisions actually have consequences so yeah i've been enjoying this one it's been solid not too difficult to get to the table either despite the big box you know it's a relatively quick setup with the trays and that in it it's just a case of me having to find a couple of hours each time to do a scenario it's taking me a while to go through it at the moment but and it certainly does become quite not fiddly but you end up with a a load of cards that are so plentiful that you kind of like, oh my god, I, you know, I was originally only having eight cards to look through. Now I've got like a million cards to look through. Like, I mean, here, uh, well, like I say, this isn't really spoiling much, but you know, you, you've got like this, this guy's hand has got like 10 cards in it, and that's probably a small hand <laughs> to what you can do. So there's definitely some, you know, a lot of stuff that you've got to deal with. I will say though that I think this book that you can get, The Judgment, was it Nephir's Judgment? side book is a bit of a waste of money it's a backstory book and essentially what happens is you have a little alignment board and you you choose one of the pre-generated backstories and it tells you that at certain locations in certain scenarios you need to go to this book and read the encounters and it basically gives you like a prologue but then this develops over time and i have to admit it has been quite cool having my haunted backstory link in with some stuff that i found during the main game i thought that was just very good writing in this very very good writing but that's essentially all the book is it's essentially four bits in the game where you end up doing a tiny little bit of side game encounters and eventually when i get to scenario 10 it's going to culminate in something but that's literally it you have a little alignment tracker that you move, but that doesn't have a huge amount of ramifications so far. It's barely made a difference, although maybe in scenario 10 that will mean something more. But considering how much I think this is on the side, I mean, you're getting this huge spiral-bound book. So I don't think this was a cheap add-on for the campaign, the Kickstarter one, and it certainly I don't think is a cheap thing to buy on the side. It just feels not worth the money. You know, it, it's, it's a cool thing to have, but bear in mind, this thing has, what, like, I don't know, 50 different stories that you can have? 
and maybe I think more than that, even 50 to 100 different backstories that you can go through. Uh, how many are you going to use in the game? You play the solo all the way through, you're using one, two if you're doing it two handed. How often do you think you're going to replay role player adventures, if we're perfectly honest? It just seems that you're buying a ton of content and barely using any of it, a bit like Gloomhaven in that respect. So it's, it, you know, that just feels like a weird add on, but no, enjoying the game. Definitely want to get it back out. Right, any other resolution for a game to get played? Uh, well, obviously, more Street Masters already mentioned. I uh, don't think there's anything else. I mean, there's some games I would love to get played again, like Lord of the Rings LCG. Not being played for a while. Some of these other games. So, oh, yeah, I've got Shinkansen or whatever it's called. Uh, let me try and find it on. I think it was called Shin... Yeah, here we go. Shinkansen Zero Kai. It was a little train building game. What? Train building game to do with the Japanese Olympics or something. Uh, and it's, it's a midweight game. I think it's a midweight game. I don't know. It's midweight or light. It's definitely one of the two. But I've no idea what this game will be like to play. All I've done is barely learnt the rules. But I need to get this played probably this Wednesday, actually. I'll take it to uh, my Portsmouth club and see if I can get it played. So it should be interesting to see, really. But yeah, that, you know, that's on the review pile. And I need to do a very quick express review for The Loop, which is overdue. And also uh, Dixit Stella, which I have played over Christmas. So I'll do more on that. But yeah. There's quite a few things to get done, and in general life resolution-wise, as I said, I've got to lose a bit of weight, I need to keep my stress under control, find a new job, find a girlfriend would be nice, <laughs> you know, try and find a, somebody who's into geekdom, you know, Marvel, I mean, she, she can be in anything, She, I want my girlfriend to be into something geeky, that's the thing, I know people go like opposites attract and stuff like that, but I don't really believe in the whole opposites attract thing, because that hasn't exactly worked out for me in the past, you know, so I want them to have a geeky interest. Doesn't have to be necessarily one I have, but something that they're just passionate about. But if we do share an interest, I think that would be brilliant. I mean, if we shared a board game interest, that would be pitch perfect. But, you know, they, she could be a massive Marvel fan. You know, she could be a Marvel cosplayer. That'd be fantastic. You know, I don't do cosplaying, but I love Marvel. You know, I'd love to see them do that. Uh, they could be into Warhammer. Great. I haven't played Warhammer since I was a late teenager, but still think it's great fun. You know, I'd love to, you know, she could probably make me play some games with her. That would be great. Um, we could, uh, well, like geekdom stuff, could there be video games? It could be a video gaming thing, could be card games, could be anything. And I just think that would be more fun. You know, I'm, I'm, as much as I do other things that aren't geeky, like hiking and the gym. And, you know, I like to go visit places and I like to eat out and cook. You know, I've got those other interests, but that alone, I don't think has worked for me in the past. Because I remember having a girlfriend that was like, literally, I think the only thing we had in common was hiking. And you can only do so many, so much hiking before your legs basically dissolve. And so it was difficult to find other things to do. So I, I do need a shared interest. But COVID has pretty much killed online dating. Like there is no such thing anymore. All the online dating apps suck. You can't meet anyone in person because everybody's afraid of COVID. So the whole dating scene is just pretty much non-existent at this point. So it's not exactly going well on that front. But certainly by the end of 2023, it would be nice to have met someone. <laughs> we'll see. 23? 22? Oh, God, blimey. I'm not putting another two-year window on me. I'm getting closer and closer to 40. I can't wait much longer. Ah, well, we'll see. So, yeah. Uh, some good resolutions there. So now, finally, to wrap up the episode, I don't want to talk too long on this, but there was an interesting question. I'd be interested to get your comments on this one if you're on the YouTube uh, video watching. But 
there was a little friendly argument between me and a friend of mine where we discussed about Dune Imperium and the fact that I questioned whether, I mean, he loves Dune Imperium. I liked it at first. It's now dropped. I think I gave it an eight when I first reviewed it, but I actually kind of regret that because I think it was more closer to a seven. And these days I'm actually more closer to thinking it's a six. A lot of the chinks in the armor are really showing themselves for Dune Imperium, particularly with those cards and the balance of everything. It's aesthetics. It's like, yeah, there's more problems with it than good at the moment for me. But that being that aside, we were talking about the deck building part because he was claiming that there was a lot of cool deck building stuff you could do in this game. I wasn't convinced I would really call it a deck builder. But then that raised an interesting point because what exactly is a deck builder? You know, we a deck building has been around since the days of like Dominion, which is like really like it took deck building and made it a whole genre by itself. But now deck building is somewhat more broader term because the original deck building was like you had your very weak starter card deck and then you consistently added cards to it but you shuffled through the deck about a million times before the game ended and you really had a lot of ways to manipulate the deck. But now we get a lot of stuff like Dune Imperium, Lost Ruins of Arnak and a few upcoming games like Endless Winter I think will have a similar thing but you know some recent games which say they're deck builders and do have you manipulating a deck, sort of? But is it enough to really call it a deck builder? In Dune Imperium, for example, you have your starter set of cards, great, but most of those you still have by the end of the game. It's not like you really have many ways in this game to get rid of them. And you can buy more cards to add to your deck, but there's very few ways in Dune Imperium to trim the cards out of your deck. There's a few cards in the game that you might see that trash cards but the problem is the display in dune imperium refreshes so rarely because half the cards in the deck aren't worth the cardboard they're printed on that you don't see a lot of those cards there's a space on the board for the ben jesseret who that allows you to trash a card but that's just a card and it costs resources to go do including spice Honestly, that spice would be better spent elsewhere, like getting you a bunch of cubes for the combat, which is like the meat of Dune Imperium. Like, this is how you win the game, by doing well at combat. So it it doesn't feel like I have many ways to tweak my deck. I feel like all I'm doing is buying more cards, some of which are garbage, because that's all that's there, and just making my deck fatter and fatter. And so, is it a deck builder? I mean, you do technically have a deck of cards, and you are building it up, but for me... I expect to have more manipulation of the deck. I expect to be shuffling through it consistently. But in Dune Imperium, you don't have that many rounds in the game. You know, the game goes on for way longer than it should, but you don't actually play that many physical rounds. So you're not really going through your deck very often, especially when you start adding cards to it on a regular basis. By the time you have any chance to see any effect of trashing cards, the game's kind of ended. So it's a little bit too soon. So... It just kind of just got me thinking. I mean, nobody's right or wrong on this. I'm not saying, oh, my mate is wrong and I'm right, you know, listen to me. This is just something that I thought was quite interesting to debate. Because if we're going to stick to the broad definition of deck building, and yes, of course, Dune Imperium and Lost Ruins of Arnak are deck builders. But I don't know, maybe I don't want it to be quite so broad as that. Or maybe it's just what I like in deck building. So I got a Wikipedia page open at the moment. I looked up deck building game. So we got there. Deck building game is a card game or board game where a construction of a deck is a main element of gameplay. They're similar to CCGs and blah, blah, blah. Unlike CCGs, the cards are not sold in randomized packs. And the majority of the deck is built during the game instead of before. Okay. 
there is an important distinction. You know, there is a big change with something like Magic the Gathering versus Dominion. All right, I'm not talking about building the deck before a game starts. I'm talking about building a deck during a game. And it goes without saying that this is one of my favorite genres in board games. I have got some pure deck builders, as I call them, more on that in a minute, uh, on my shelf. I love deck building as a mechanic. Love it, love it, love it. So in most deck building games, each player starts with a small deck of weak cards. Each turn, they draw some cards in the deck and play them, which give various effects, including being able to buy some more cards from a central market, therefore building their deck over the course of the game. This is mainly for, I'm sort of reading it off the site as a way of kind of making it clearer to those who aren't familiar with the term deck building, but other effects include being able to play more actions, attack other players, remove unwanted cards from your deck. Typically, the cards also provide the in-game currency that allows players to buy more cards. As players buy more cards, their decks gradually become more powerful. When the player runs out of cards to draw, they shuffle their discard pile, which includes newly gained cards, to create a new deck to draw from. Apart from this, however, games may vary. Some are competitive, while some are cooperative. Okay, cool. You cannot organize your deck in advance. You must do it during play. And it talks with some examples like deck building as a central mechanic in some games such as Dominion or Wingspan. However, in others such as the Mage Knight board game or Arkham Horror the card game, it's combined with others. So, and then they give like a history of it and the list of various games that they consider to be deck builders. Quick drink, right. <clears throat> so with me, I love deck building, but I'm more of a fan of pure deck building. So some of my favorite deck builders I have are things like uh, Valley of the Kings, uh, Runestone, so which I keep talking about a lot. I still like Dominion. Dominion's on the shelf up there somewhere. Uh, what else? Star Realm's really good. A Dale of Merchants, really good. Uh, what other pure deck builder? Have I got any more? There's only so many that I own on my shelf, but I do love them still. Not including stuff like Marvel Champions and Arkham Hardy LCG. Mystic Veil is apparently a deck builder, and... I guess it sort of is. It's weird. They call it card building, but I'm not going to have card building as a genre. Is it a deck builder or not? You don't add more cards to your deck, but you add more abilities to the 20 cards you have in your deck, and you frequently go through the deck. So I'm calling it deck building rather than card building. But yeah, it's a, it's a slight change in the format, but it still kind of works. Uh, trying to think, there must be other deck builders around here that I've used probably going to kick myself if I can't think of any, but I don't know. I digress. You know, suffice to say, I do like the genre. In fact, why don't we go on to Board Game Geek? Do, 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 do. Let's do an advanced search. So advanced, in fact, no, I don't need to. I've got the deck building here. So the list on Wikipedia. So what have we got here? So Adventure Time, Cartoon Network, Arctic Scavengers, another really good one, Zeon's End, which is not as popular with me as it is with others, but a lot of people like it. Uh, Clank. Another one, um, again, I don't go mad for it, but, you know, other people do. Dominion, of course, Ascension, Harry Potter Hogwarts Battle, Hero Realms, Legendary, Marvel, Legendary Encounters. Oh, yeah, I've got Legendary Encounters. Yeah, that's a thing. Uh, Mystic Veils mentioned here. Rick and Morty, Thunderstone, uh, Starcraft, the board game. Cool, that's going back a bit. Uh, Shards of Infinity, Star Realms mentioned. So there's quite a few, you know, that are available. And this is not even an exhaustive list. But certainly I'm like, hmm, which are my favorite types of deck building? Well, first off, pure. Definitely pure. I love a deck builder that is really about manipulating the deck. As I mentioned, Valley of the Kings, and on this list, Star Realms, and Dominion. 
you know, they are pure deck builders when it is all about that. The when they start combining it with other mechanics, though, I'm a little less enthralled. Now, there are some exceptions. I do love Lost Ruins of Arnak and stuff like that, but when you combine it with another game, I don't tend to enjoy them as much because I find that the mechanic doesn't thematically work well with what the game is doing. And Clank on here is a perfect example of that. And uh, I think, um, uh, what's it called? Not Wrath of the Shadow. Well, Tyrants of the Underdark is another example of this where you have a map and you do area control or you do movement, but you have a deck building part to go alongside it. And I always find that they... It kind of makes the game weaker, in my opinion. You know, I, I don't like Clank and Tyrants in the Underdark anywhere near as much as I like Dale of Merchants and Valley of the Kings and Runestones, these pure deck builders. The other thing that I question about whether I would call Arnak and Imperium deck builders is just I, I want there to be a way to manipulate the deck. Like, I need that to be a focus point of the game. If I want to tweak my deck, whether it's make it huge and have abilities to draw lots of cards, or trim it down to, like, five cards and go through the same deck over and over again, I want to be able to manipulate that. And you can do that in something like... I mean, Runestones does it for you. It trashes a card every time you play the two cards in succession. And then you can buy more cards. But... In Dominion, you can get cards trashed out of your deck, or you can be really careful about which ones you buy. Dale of Merchants, I mean, they go straight to your hand, but then you play them out of your deck for the stools that you're making, so you are constantly manipulating your deck. Valley of the Kings, another example. The multi-use card that uses currency, but then you have to get the cards out of your deck in order to put them in your tomb to score, so you're constantly manipulating your deck that way while also trashing cards. So with those games, you do a lot of manipulation. Arnak and Imperium don't. I've already mentioned Imperium really doesn't have enough ways to manipulate the deck to be a proper deck builder for me. Arnak also doesn't really. I mean, the Leader's expansion I mentioned earlier does increase that a little bit. I was playing the Baroness in the last game, and her special delivery card combined with some trashing card abilities that you can get way more frequently in Arnak than you can in Imperium but also combined with a few card drawing effects that the cards have, did allow me to do a little bit more interesting deck manipulation with that game. Like, I, I grabbed a backpack that allowed me to draw the bottom card of my deck. I grabbed the first aid kit, from the, and this is from the new expansion, the first aid kit that lets me look at the top four cards of my deck, trash up to two of them, or keep one. So it allows me to do deck manipulation there and rearrange them. And... You know, some of the other characters, I think, do that. Now, in the base game alone of Arnak, there's not a huge amount of ways to manipulate your deck. You buy items, they go at the bottom of your deck, and they come up next turn. You buy an artifact, it goes off immediately, and then goes in your discard pile, which gets shuffled at the bottom of your deck and could turn up at some point later. There's only five rounds in the game, though, so if you are doing a lot of deck manipulation... It's not going to, like, hold for tons. But then the advantage that Arnak has is that you only have, like, I think six cards, five or six cards in your starting deck. It's, like, really, really small. And so when you do trash a card out of that, it really makes a bigger difference. Because unless you're buying a million cards all the time, you're going to go through your deck quite frequently. Those cards are going to reappear at some point before the game ends. And so deck manipulation does have a bigger effect. In Imperium, I forget how many starter cards you have, but I think it's a good 10-card deck of cards, half of which are garbage and half of which are fairly useful. One of them does trash itself, I admit, but then everybody has that card, so it's not really a... You don't get any extra efficiency over another player because you're going to play it pretty much ASAP, really. 
So, but then with Imperium, not only does it take you a couple of rounds to go through your deck, but then when you buy more cards, it's random when they could come up and you don't have enough ways to trash the cards or rearrange your deck or even draw more cards, frankly. There's not a huge amount of ways to do that. And if you do, yeah, I mean, you can try and do that to an extent, but I found that with drawing cards into an Imperium, you just find yourself drawing trash a lot of the time because, again, some of the cards are complete garbage. It's, it, is, it really does depend a lot on the, that display. You can have a game where some brilliant cards come out in that display and they get bought immediately because they're that good. Worm Rider, for example. But then you get a bunch of cards in that deck which are just not worth buying. They're like a barely better than a starter card, and yet it's costing you your hard-earned Solari money to get them. And so they get stuck in the display. The display doesn't refresh them. It really does need a house rule to scrap the entire display and draw five new cards, I think. It needs to go through that deck much, much quicker, especially when you play it solo. So... It's an interesting one, this. So, you know, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. You know, I'm not going to say, right, this is my definition of deck building game and no nothing else works. But it does draw an interesting line for debate. You know, do you have a line that you draw for deck building as a concept? Would something like Arnak and Dune Imperium qualify perfectly as a deck building game? You know, is, it, you know, is that exactly what you considered to be deck building no matter how small or slight it is you know you, you do a lot more deck building and manipulation in something like clank and turrets and the underdar but then only so much and you still have that side bit bolted on or for you is a deck building game purely the pure ones you know valley of the kings and dominion is that how you see deck building and anybody else who tries to bolt it onto another game is doing something else it's i don't quite subscribe to that i do think that the term is kind of for those ones i think it's still fine but yeah arnak and imperium do draw a weird line for me as to whether i want to call them deck builders or not is there enough manipulation of that deck for it to really qualify i mean viscounts of the west kingdom is another example uh that one I and mean, you can trash cards out of your deck pretty easily in that game so there is a bit more manipulation you will go through your deck more quickly um but you only play like one card each round and it goes on the tableau so you're not playing your entire hand of cards you're only playing one per turn and waiting for the conveyor belt to sort of let you play another one but because you can draw a lot of cards in that game because you can discard often because you can trash often in that game perhaps that does qualify a bit more as deck building i mean it certainly has the manipulation part that i love in deck building even though you don't have a huge deck and you're not playing your entire hand of cards i mean that's that's an interesting one i would consider that a deck builder more than say imperium and arnak for sure but as i say there's not a right or wrong that's just kind of my musings on the subject i just thought it was quite an interesting debate when my mate and i were talking about it i mean his opinion is that imperium and stuff like it is a full-blown deck builder no questions asked so he's definitely like as long as it's got some kind of deck that you are building it is a deck building game through and through so maybe that's fine. You know, maybe I'm just being a little bit too picky on it. But yeah, with those games, I do, as I'm looking at Arnak across the other table there, it's like, yeah, is it a deck builder or is it kind of something else? Maybe it should have had its own name because I'm not sure I want deck building to be like so broad a genre that you can literally have like five cards and call it a deck builder. I mean, I think they call something like, I don't know, do they call Concordia a deck builder? I don't think they do. That's more hand management. Yeah, I don't think you actually build a deck of cards. I think you just put cards in your hand. So I don't think that counts. 
And certainly I would not put hand management in the same department as deck building. I think they're completely unrelated. So it's a it's an interesting one, but I've been interested to get your guys' thoughts. I think I've said all I can on the subject, but let me know in the comments. What are your thoughts? You know, what do you consider a deck builder? Do you draw a line? Are there some games that are referred to on Board Game Geek as deck builders that you think, nope, nope, not a thing? Or do you just consider anything with the title next to it to be a deck builder? You know, and do you even include stuff like Magic and the cooperative LCGs in that sense? You know, do you even include that? I mean, I don't include those as deck builders, but we'll see. What do you think? So, yeah. We're getting on to an hour. I think I'm going to wrap up this podcast and get it edited and uploaded for you all. So uh, thank you for listening and thank you for you know being with me throughout 2021. Here's to 2022 and hoping it will be a better year with more live streams and stuff like that along the way. Mark, uh, well, I've already done top 10 anticipated games. I'm going to do another one, top 10 anticipated expansions. So I'm going to do a bolt on to that one. Uh, Mark Dainty from Bo- Bo- Bayman and I are going to do a, a top 10 solo games update list. You know, three years since I did my last one. So we're going to do an updated list together as a live stream collaboration. Uh, Paul Grogan and uh, myself and Mark Dainty and uh, Tom Heath from Slicker Drips, uh, we did a a live stream collaboration on Paul Grogan's Gaming Rules channel on New Year's Eve, where we talked about 2021 as a whole. So by all means, go check out his video on that. It was a really good time, really good stream, that one. Uh, But I'm also trying to set up uh, other lists, like I want to do top 10 uh, games that uh, killed other games. I want to do top 10 games that defended from other games, a unique list that no one else has done. But I'm struggling to find people to live stream with that because people are struggling to think of top 10s for that. So I might have to do those as solo live stream lists uh which is something else i'm thinking of doing actually i wanted to do top 10s in my usual professional format i want to do top 10s live stream collaborations but then if it's a top 10 list that i don't think it's going to be as popular or it's a bit more niche i kind of want to just sit on Streamyard and do them live solo so i just go through my top 10 list solo and use board game geek as a way of showing the pictures you know it's a way of me churning out more top 10 lists which is the content a lot of you want to see and what i want to do but allows me to actually physically do it because if I try to do every single top 10 list I have an idea for as my professional format, it's not going to work. So the professional format is more for the really popular top 10 lists. I mean, top 10 of the year, top 10 anticipated, top 10 of a specific genre, they're really popular, but something like top 10 games that killed other games, you know, that's going to be a little bit more niche, I think. So but uh, board game perspective, I'm in chats with them to come back on the show, and we're hoping to do a top ten beautiful on the inside games. You know, the one that Dice Tower did a while back. We're going to try our own, although bless them, it seems that this one's going to be quite a hard list for them because they only deal with nice looking games. I mean, if you've seen their Instagram, you know why. You know, they have all the nice, lovely pictures on there. But for me, as much as I love artwork and aesthetics in games, I can think of an easy collection of ten games where I'm like, no, these games are ugly, but they're still good. So, you know, there's still going to be some good ones there, but we're in talks to do a live stream for that at some point. So, yeah, there's more on the horizon. It's exciting. You know, let's get started, I say. So, Happy New Year to you all. Take care. And remember, as always, it's only a game. Bye for now. Let me know. Leave a like on this video. And I'll speak to you very soon. Bye for now.